0: Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We gather today around Mark chapter 8 in God's Word. they said seven and he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and having given thanks he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people and they set them before the crowd and they had a few small fish and having blessed them he said that these also should be set before them and they ate and were satisfied and they took up the broken pieces left over seven baskets full and there were about four thousand people And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. So the first paragraph mirrors a miracle that we've already seen in this gospel account. The crowd is with Jesus again. They have nothing to eat. They've been there three days listening to him teach. He has compassion on them. He wants to feed them. And he asks the disciples and... They don't get it. How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? You can ask your children about this one. Um, They should be able to pick up on it if you've been working your way through the gospel together. What have the disciples already forgotten? Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and fed five thousand men here He's going to feed four thousand men, so the crowd is smaller than it was this the, the last time. And they saw what he did that last time, and they don't, they don't recall it. They don't, they don't put two and two together that Jesus has done this miracle and that he's God and he can do it again. It's really sad um, when we when we stop and we look at it. Just as the previous the feeding of the 5,000 mirrored the Lord's Supper, so does this language here in verse 6. Again, he gives thanks. He breaks the bread. He gives it to the disciples, just as he's going to do with his own body, his own bread of his flesh. A few chapters from now. we got a few days to go to get there. They leave and they go to Dalmanutha, which is a city to the west of the Sea of Galilee, on the west side of the city of the sea. And there the Pharisees argue with him again, just like the crowds gathering is a constant theme in the Gospel of Mark, so is the Pharisees and their opposition. Uh, They're against Jesus and they're seeking a sign from him. This is another spot where you can have a conversation with your children. What are they looking for? What What do they want Jesus to do that he hasn't done already? What did the Pharisees, and even you can even go to the disciples too, what have they seen Jesus do, and when they saw it, how did they respond? The Pharisees saw Jesus heal a man with a withered hand back in chapter 3, and they responded by wanting to kill him. And what more do they want? He's healed the sick, he's cast out demons, he's raised people from dead? <laughs> Whatever he gives them, they're not going to believe. The disciples have seen him calm storms, walk on water, and they've seen the miracles that we just mentioned as well, and they don't believe. Signs and miracles don't bring faith. This is a challenge that the church today needs to know and to understand, because people today often have that. If, if God would just show me a sign, then I'd believe. If God were still doing miracles today, maybe people would believe. No, that's just not the case. Look at the Gospels. Look at the New Testament. Look at all the signs that, that Jesus does perform. Look at all the miracles he does for people. And how often do they believe him? How often do they actually trust in him and not reject him and not leave him? I mean, it's, it's incredible. Miracles don't bring about faith. The Gospel does the preaching of who Jesus is and how he brings us to a repentance and how he forgives us of our sins on his cross and gives us life in his resurrection. That death and resurrection of Jesus is the only thing that really has that power to give faith to man, through again, through the work of the Holy Spirit. And even though Jesus answered here that he would not give them a sign, uh similar account in Matthew's gospel, he does give them, he says, the sign of Jonah is all that this generation will get. And that's the idea of being in the belly of the fish for three days and then being spit back out. So Jesus dying and on the third day rising is the picture there. The next section, Jesus warning the disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And the disciples think he's talking about bread. They think he's giving them trouble because they didn't think to bring enough bread on their journey. And that's not at all what Jesus is talking about. So he rebukes them. I mean, he pushes them hard with questions. Um, Do you not yet perceive or understand? No, they don't. Are your hearts hardened? Do you lack faith? Yes, they do. Having eyes, do you not see? Ears, do you not hear? That's faith. Jesus uses those phrases to talk about having faith. Do you not remember? When Jesus broke the other times, the bread, to feed 5,000 and 4,000. So he brings up those examples. If he can feed 5,000 men with five loaves of bread, do you think he can feed the 12 of you with one loaf of bread? Yeah. This isn't about bread, disciples. It's not about bread. Jesus will provide for you. Instead, this is Jesus providing for you by warning you against some of the evil that you're going to experience and endure. Pharisees are against him. They're going to tear down his body. They're going to try and tear down his church. The leaders, the secular leaders like Herod, are against him. They're going to try to tear down his body. They're going to try and tear down his church. Disciples, be on alert. Leaven in and of itself is is not a bad thing, um, but it takes on a connotation of sin in Scripture. Uh, The idea of a little leaven, leavens the whole lump, is part of that. Um, As you put a little yeast into a batch of bread it helps to raise the whole batch of bread helps it all to rise So that's the picture here Um, Again 11 itself is just part of creation. God made it. It's a good thing, but it takes on that negative connotation oftentimes when Jesus uses it as a picture in in his teaching Then they move on again uh, this time to Bethsaida. It's on the north side of the Sea of Galilee and this time it's the healing of a blind man. Jesus takes him out into the, the out of the village for privacy, so that less people are going to see the miracle happen. And this is another tough one, just like at the end of chapter seven and the death man that got God. Jesus put his fingers in his ears and spit and touched his tongue. And why did he do it that way? Why did he do it this way? This is the only account in Scripture that we have of Jesus' miracles where he does like a two-step process. We don't know why. The only answer I can tell you is that it isn't that the first try failed. That's not what this is. Jesus didn't fail. But I can't tell you what he's up to. I can't tell you his purpose. The study Bible tries. Our Lutheran study Bible suggests that maybe this is uh, Jesus' picture for the disciples because they have had to be taught again and again and again. And so Jesus does this two-step healing process In order to help show them, connect to them, their misunderstanding of his word. I don't know. Um, Maybe. But I think it's easier to just say, we don't know, and be okay with that. Uh, Jesus heals him. The beauty of the miracles of Jesus, he makes this blind man see again. So, he sends him home, straight home, not even to the village, so that he doesn't go telling people again. Um, but instead goes back to his own home and gets to enjoy what God has given to him. The next section, they go to Caesarea Philippi. Now this is the region up to the north of the Sea of Galilee before you would get to Syria, Phoenicia, Syro-Phoenicia, And he asks them, who do the people say that I am? And they respond with the same answers that we heard when Herod was killing John the Baptist back in chapter 6. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others a prophet. But then he turns the question personally and asks who they think that he is. And this is probably one of the best lines the disciples get to utter in the book. Which is, in fairness, that's true of all the Gospels. This confession of faith Peter makes, you are the Christ. Now, Christ is the anointed one, so he's the one that is going to save them, rescue them, redeem them. They still have a wrong picture of that, which we're going to see here in just a moment in the next section. Mark cuts Peter's answer in half. Uh, We learn from Matthew, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But Mark is, as a linguistic feature, as part of his writing technique here, he's reserving that son of God phrase for the Roman centurion at the end of the gospel. Again, we think that's part of his goal, part of his target, target audience of writing to Rome, that he wants them to... Be put into that place of faith as a profound and powerful statement moment in the in the book in the writing in the story he wants to invite them into this picture that even the Romans can believe in this Jesus and so anyway Jesus strictly charges them not to tell anyone about him yet because uh, he's going to certainly give them that task he's already given them that task in previous chapters and he's going to do it again the goal here remembering back to chapter one as the crowds were already gathering around jesus and he told peter that he had come to preach that they would move on they would go to other towns so that he could preach to them as well that's why he's come so it's already getting hard for jesus to minister in the way that he wishes to minister and share the gospel and so limitations on who you tell for now as we just saw with the blind man that was healed as well. In verse 31, Jesus in Mark's gospel for the first time predicting his passion, his death, his resurrection, and the disciples don't believe it. Verse 32, he said this plainly, not a parable, nothing confusing. He simply straightforward says they're going to kill me. And in three days, I'll rise again. And Peter rebukes him for it. He's, He won't have it. He won't stand for this. And so Jesus then rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter is not concerned about what God's will is, what God's plan is to save him. He was concerned about what his own plan is to save him. And so Peter's vision of what the Christ is going to do for him is not the same as what God is going to do for him. His expectation is of an earthly kingdom. He wants to have Jesus overthrow uh, the the hierarchy that is tearing him down, that is oppressing him in that moment. Uh, He wants to overcome what is currently pressing him down in this life so that he can live a good life. He can be part of a great kingdom and live um, prosperously. This is all around us today. You've got the prosperity gospel within the church. You've got other churches that are giving into the social justice gospel, the idea that uh, we must free people from their worldly oppressions now. And while it's good to love your neighbor and to serve them how you can, that's not the gospel, not even close. If you liberate your neighbor from one oppression, they'll just be oppressed by something else. It's not to say don't help your neighbor. I'm not saying that, don't hear that. But it's the same as what Peter's doing here. He's seeing Jesus as a means to earthly gain. And that's not, 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 not what Jesus is about. Jesus has come to save him from death, to save him from sin, to save him from the clutches of the devil that would drag him to hell. That's what Jesus has come to do. And it's drastically different than what we might want. And so that comes up in the next paragraph too. This is... Verses 34 through 38 are crucial to the Christian, to you, and to your family today. Is our life now supposed to be great and rich and wonderful? Turn that question to your children, and your children have an easier time with this than you do. It's just true. It's just reality. Your children don't yet have this mindset that they're supposed to live a successful life, unless you've taught them that they're supposed to live a successful life. There's nothing in the Bible about that. That's not the goal, that's not the aim. Instead, what what does Jesus tell us? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. That's a reference to suffering, even death. Whoever wishes to save his life, so whoever wants a great life now will lose it. And that's not a reference to stuff now, it's a reference to living forever. But whoever loses his life now, this one, this time, whoever forfeits this world for Jesus' sake and the gospel's sake will save it. And that's not a reference to saving this life. It's a reference to everlasting life. I mean, look at the questions. What, what do you want? Would you rather live great for a 100 years or would you rather live great forever? You only get one. That's the picture Jesus is putting before his disciples. You get You only get one of these things, guys. What do you want? What can a man give in return for his soul? Could you buy your salvation from God if you had this whole world? No, it's not good enough. It's not enough. You'd be lost. Whoever is ashamed of Jesus, whoever is ashamed of his words, God will be ashamed of him. Jesus will be ashamed with him when he returns. Plain words, just as he plainly told them about his death and resurrection, so now he plainly tells them and us that we're not to be of this world. Our life is not to be about this life. We are to value the life that is to come. We are to willingly sacrifice of ourselves now for the good of those around us that they may hear the Gospel, that they may hear the words of Jesus, so that they too might have that great life in the paradise that is yet to come. He has said this plainly, and we are to believe it.